Welcome to another episode of Between Two Servers. Between Two Servers is the podcast that doesn't actually take place between two servers, but talks about everything that exists between two servers. This episode, we have a special guest, Rosa Hoffman, founder and CEO of MedsCures, a technology company dedicated to making medicine secure. Their mission is to change the way the world uses medication. We're incredibly excited to welcome Rosa to Between Two Servers, and Sonia will be speaking to her about women in tech, the startup world, and also funding. Okay, well, let's get started. Uh, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, my name is Sonia. I am the managing director at Converge. And uh, Convert is a software development company located in downtown Toronto. We also have a group of companies uh, that uh, are part of the Converge family, which is uh, Menusano and Field Eagle. And today we have with us on our Instagram Live, Rosa Hoffman, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Metscures, which she's going to tell us all about. But she is in the tech, met she's in the med tech space. And in addition to that, um, she's also recently a new mom. Well, not new, a mom again. And she also is in the automotive tech space, which I'm, I hope in, in 30 minutes we have sort of time to touch base on all these things. Um, the focus of our uh, talk today is mostly, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about women in tech, uh, startups, and fundraising. So welcome, Rosa. Thank Why you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Metscures, you know, tell us a little bit about the company, uh, what its goals are, what you're hoping to achieve. Sure. So Metscures, what we've done is we've developed a um, prescription pill, pill bottle that is sold to pharmacies on a subscription base. And what we do is we secure medication at a pharmacy level, um, which in hindsight, what it really means is if you have a highly addictive narcotic, you will not be able to access that narcotic unless it is programmed into the bottle by your doctor and pharmacist to release based on your prescription. So the goal is we're trying to really, uh, first of all, is you know, help with the abuse of medication. That's a big thing we're seeing. Um, standardize how medication is being uh, provided to consumers and just keeping everyone safe. I mean, I guess that's the really big picture of, of what we're trying to do. And what sort of made you come up with this, this concept? Uh, a lot of it actually came from my personal experiences. Um, I take medication every single day and I had been going through like the weirdest thing like just you know we're busy we're busy i'm on, on conference calls in the morning and i have to take my medication every morning at a specific time so i ended up buying like all these smart bottles from the us bringing them in and they would always alert me and they were the most annoying things on earth they're like beep, 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 beep. and i would just like you know decline decline like i'm too busy i hate this don't want to do that um so what i did find was it would end up confusing me more. It was like, did I press, you know, accept because I took my pill or did I actually forget to take it? Like I just, it didn't help me. So in that time, I started doing more research into the entire concept of creating a pill that only dispensed uh, medication based on a requisition and nothing really existed. And as I looked more into you know, medical uh, prescription drugs as a, you know, holistic view per se, 
I started to see how much of an issue medication was. And it's not just, you know, narcotics. Narcotics, opioids are just one layer of, of medication that is abused on a daily basis. But there are a lot of medication that needs to be taken at a specific time that if you know someone in your household got a, a hold of, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, would really affect and could potentially die from taking. So it started to really open up my eyes to seeing that medication in general, all medication, even vitamins have to be secured because if they get in the wrong hands, they can be very dangerous. And can you tell us a little bit about, I know you and I sort of had a, a, side, a side conversation around like specifically opioids and, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what some of those st statistics are around uh, particularly like opioid uh, pandemic and uh, how people have become highly addicted to some of these uh, narcotics and how your technology is going to reduce that? Sure. So, I mean, I can't, do not hold me accountable for these numbers as I don't have my, my documents in front of you me. You don't but, have to give us all the Okay, I got it. But <laughs> what I can tell you is um, one in eight people that actually get a prescription for an opioid will end up abusing it. So that is already a huge statistic. In the U.S., I think they're doing about over 700 million prescriptions for opioids. In Canada, it's, I think, over 3 million. Um, the numbers are insane. If you think about how many prescription drugs are being you know, dispensed on a daily basis. And when you consider the fact that like one in eight will abuse it and one in six from those eight will end up using harder drugs like heroin. So we are seeing a, a large amount of deaths. We're seeing a lot of fake opioids on the streets now because people want to get those hits. Um, you know, we are seeing a regulation with opioids where doctors are now not allowed to give it out as much. And that is why you've seen a really big, big increase in the fake um, opioids right now on the street, like fentanyl, things like that. But it's still an issue because it's still happening and we're still seeing it quite a bit. Right. And um you know, I know you've told us a little bit about what you do and you don't have to get into all the, the details because I know you're still going through some patents and things, but how yes. does your bottle sort of control that? If you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so our bottle is IOT. Um, what makes our bottle unique is the fact that we are subscription-based. We're 100% recyclable. Uh, the actual medication never actually touches our bottle, so we do have inserts. Um, that's what makes us very, very unique, which we are going through the patent in the U.S., but we have it here in Canada. Um, we are trying to be obviously green and, and not have a, a large amount of waste, mm -hmm. but what happens is the pharmacy will end up getting the requisition. They will go into our backend system. They'll program the bottle to release medication based on that requisition. And then the bottle is immediately connected. So when it comes to the opioid side, we've created um, our bottles with just pure Wi-Fi. And then we also have other bottles that are connected through Bluetooth. So if you as a consumer would like to have a little bit more awareness on how you're taking medication, if you're taking it properly, um, like a great example is if I went to the doctor today and they gave me medicine for, let's just say, a, um, an antibacterial, I had a cold, let's just say, and I didn't take the whole thing, but I feel fantastic. 
it will record all of that so that the next time I go to the doctor, they're going to know how to properly manage my expectations. So based on, you know, my historical data today, I did well taking the medication for five days and they really didn't need to prescribe me 10 days. So it's also about making medicine smarter for people. Not everybody is the same. And I, I, I'm not sure about you, but I know when I go to a doctor's, they give me the generic, everyone takes it for 12 days. Well, I don't think that's the case. Everybody is different. All of our bodies are different. Some heal quicker, right. some heal, some heal slower. So we're not all like one, one size fits all. So it's also going to help you really keep a record of that, share it with your doctor. And then the other element of it is I always think about when I get old and I die, um, I don't want to leave behind, you know, unanswered questions for my children. So I am able to then pass on my application to them and they can see my entire health um, records, what I've been taking, any health issues I may have had. So now they know, now they know what Great. they need to be aware of down the road. But, uh, when you were just uh, explaining that, I also noticed a point where is like, you're also helping with wastage. So, you know, if I go to the doctor and they give me an opioid, I've taken opioids before, but I remember when I got like, I think they gave me like 12, I only took like four and the rest just ended up in my cupboard. So this also sort of helps make sure that, you know, they're only giving people the right amount and then they're also not wasting, right? Correct. So if, for example, if you had one of our bottles, we are able to actually record and manage to see how you are actually taking your medication. So for example, you have your bottle of opioids, we record every time you dispense a medication. So if we would notice that you had not dispensed medication in, let's say, 30 or 60 days, the pharmacy can call you and say, by the way, we noticed that you're not taking the medication, bring it back to the pharmacy so that we can properly dispense the medication. Because that is what ends up happening is medication ends up in your cupboards and you self-diagnose and you take medication because you assume you think you know what you got to do and they've expired. They're not good. They're not going to help you. And they're just hanging out there or you throw them down the sink or in your toilet. And that is the worst thing to do. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the the, the whole concept of, of what you're doing is super fascinating. But, you know, I also want to touch base sort of like, you know, being a woman in tech. I mean, not only are you in tech, you're also in med tech and you have software, hardware component, which is really hard. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of like your journey in the startup world and what are some of the, the things you've had to navigate through to sort of get you to where you are today? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I've done some work with a few other startup companies who I would say were mainly male driven. Um, and you learn a lot, I think, in that time. But I think as a female and having worked with female, the one thing I have to say is I find, and this could be biased, that we're more diligent. Like we are just very, you know, all our T's must be crossed, all our I's must be dotted. And, you know, even raising capital, as much as I could go out there and just my my language but i could bs and make up all these stories and make up numbers or do whatever i i want to to get that i'm not like i'm really particular in making sure that i am very much on the dot like this is what i've done i've done my market study this is how much we can make this is how much we have the opportunity to do these are our test pilots this is how we get there so it, I find that as a female, and I've spoken to other females, I've been in Fierce Founders, and 
and in talking with like that cohort, like everyone has said the same thing, like they feel the same way where we do so much more due diligence, where I have worked with startups where male have been founders, male have been the, you know, the guys who find the investment, but we never produce a product. We never go to market. There's nothing to show for it. And I can't do that. That was really hard for me. And it was one of those things why I think I waited a lot longer to get to the point where I was ready to start fundraising because I knew I had a product. I knew I could go to market. I had done my due diligence. So it, there are moments where it is harder. I think it is a bit more challenging, but I also think that in the long term, I think we're going to see so much more females in startup and females running startup companies just because we do a little bit more due diligence. No offense to any man out there. I'm sure there's tons of you who definitely do it as well. I'm just speaking out of my own experience. Right. And those were kind of my own challenges I found. I mean, I, I agree with you 100% because I, I, I talk to startups all the time. And uh, one of the things that um, I know we did with our Menusano startup was we never, we, we didn't get investment from the get-go. We, we, we bootstrapped. And when we, when now we're at a point where we're sort of looking uh, to bring in some capital to, to help us, because now it's become a global company and we need capital to help it grow. But now we have the advantage that we can go to an investor and say, hey, not only do we have this startup and this company, but we also have clients and we have clients worldwide and we have revenue. And I don't know if it's a woman thing. I mean, you kind of just touch base on it if it's just doing our due diligence, but like, I don't think we are so comf- super comfortable with going and looking for that investment without having something to show for it, right? And yeah, maybe that's just a, a, a trait. Yeah, and maybe it's also because historically it's always been men running companies, right? There is that that side of it too. So I think with women, we always have to like prove ourselves a little bit more. That's what we put on. I definitely feel like I, I live to that standard where I, I'm a little bit like, oh, I, I can't go to an investor and ask him to invest in a dream. But I think other people would feel comfortable with that where I just don't. So I think it's a stigma we all have to work um, away from and just grow from it. But I think, like I said, there are plenty of women who are doing fantastic things out there that are in startup that have really, you know, grown successful companies. And yeah, I, I like that. I like seeing those, those, um, those stories. Right. And um, I know that you are currently actively uh, looking for investment in your company. I know that you're going to be probably very particular about it. And I know that you also did the, the Fierce Founder uh, program. So can you walk us through just, you know, for anyone who is listening, who might be in a startup, I know there's a couple people who've joined that I know have startups and or are looking to get into one. What are, you know, how do you sort of navigate through? I know a lot of times people ask me is like, well, what do you do to find investors? Like, how do you even find an investor? So can you help us sort of navigate a little bit through that? Sure. So uh, being part of like Communitech, Fierce Founders, the Mars, uh, you know, lot 42, like, or 41, sorry, but 
or 42, I'm not sure. But <laughs> incubators like those are so helpful. They really, they help grow you as a team, as a company. They really structure you in knowing what to do next. Um, I had been part of them with a previous company, but then I did Fierce Founders for MedScures. And I will admit like that helped me so much. It made me feel really confident in pitching. It helps you really structure on what you need to do next to get to the next level. Um, a lot of these incubators have access to investors, they have access to venture capital um, money, they have grants, so it's all there. Uh, the Government of Canada also has on their website uh, an option that you can go in and it also provides like grants that they have available to you. There's many websites that provide uh, information on angel investors, on venture capital uh, investments. So it's just people think it's simple, but it's not. It is a lot of work. It's sometimes hours to fill out applications, especially with the government for grants. Um, it is, you know, just you just got to go through it. You got to do what you need to do. And it's it's there. Uh, pitch competitions, I think, are fantastic. They really expose you. They help you. And when you're in a pitch competition, there's, you know, a crowd of people that are a lot of times investors. So whether or not you win, you make great connections. So a lot of it comes down to connections. Do your due diligence. Make sure your numbers are correct. Make sure you know the market. Um, because when you sit down with an investor, it is not easy. They will tear it apart. Rightfully so. They're investing in your company. So they're, uh, they're expecting their money to come back sometimes double. So just, it's a lot of work. You, you, you obviously have to prove that, you know, not only do you have a good idea, but you also know what you're doing. Cause another, I think a huge problem in tech that I've personally noticed, and I could be completely out to lunch, but it's my own personal opinion and I'm going to give it anyway. Um, I noticed that a lot of people sort of go out with that dream and they pitch that dream and they have fancy pitch desks, um, but they never, and they raise money, but they never actually, like you mentioned, they never actually build a product or the ones that, then there's the ones that, don't pitch, build a product, and kind of don't do anything with it. And I'm always so frustrated with, with people because I'm like, okay, if, if you have investment, for God's sakes, build a product and start selling it. Like, don't spend the next five years just building. Like, get an MVP together, get it out there, prove your market, right? But then those who have actually uh, put in their own money and built a product, and then the product is just standing there. And I'm like, okay, well, now the next phase is, you know, your marketing. If you're not going to look for investment, you know, at least get out there and get people to start using your products. But then, you know, I feel like there's those two worlds that are sort of stuck in between, and people are not in a rush as as much when they've had that investment because they're just kind of like, okay, we have investment, we can sort of take our time. How? you know, what, what is your opinion of that? So what I think what I've seen is people sell a dream and a concept that they think will become something. And when they get the investment, they realize, oops, can't actually do it. Um, and I've seen that happen a lot. So then it's like they get to the funding part. They're trying to build this product that they've promised is going to be, you know, the next Tesla and it's not, and they can't ever achieve that. Um, and so they just keep, you know, pushing in like we're trying, we're getting there. Timeline after timeline keeps passing. They keep raising because they're always raising on a dream. Um, so I do see that happen often. And that's usually why it's because what they've actually sold cannot be done. That's that's really it. 
And that, again, goes back to what I said earlier, which was I did not want to start raising until I knew that what I was dreaming could actually be done. And I, you know, I put my own money into it. I built it. I got it done. I know I know it's possible. And so now I'm ready to do that, where a lot of people, it's the opposite. You got to remember technology is technology. Some things are possible and some things are not. And just because you dream it and you think it, if you don't do the work into it, doesn't mean it's going to happen. And investors, and there are investors who don't know. They really just don't know. Like I sat down with investors for other companies who truly believed that something was going to happen that wasn't going to happen, even though I'll be honest, I knew it wasn't going to happen. Right, right. So, um, you know, just, I know that you, you, you have your, the Metzgers and you're in a startup, but you know, uh, you're also in the auto tech space. You're also a consultant for other technology companies. Um, you're also, a, a, not a new mom, but a mom again, recently, how do you do it all? I mean, like, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Wine. I have kids, but you know, I think compared to men and this goes back to our topic about women in this industry I think women just in general we have a harder job than anyone because not only do we have a full-time job but we have we also have other full-time jobs at home taking care of our kids and I think a lot of that is sort of overlooked but you know you're an entrepreneur startup you know how do you do it all I don't know I actually don't know. I mean, I think I'm blessed because I do have like a really good family that helps and supports my, my youngest is three, but my older kids are 16 and 17. So they do help. And, you know, I got good sisters, I got good family. So I do have that. So that's helpful. Um, without that, I, I really don't know how you do it. It's a lot of sacrifice. I mean, there's no you time. Like that's the one thing I think, I kind of understand like when my husband goes on a golf game, it's like, how dare you? How dare you? How can you go on a golf game and I'm stuck here? You know, like it's, it's tough. You know, we just, you want to go golf? We just, no, no, but it's like you give it up because you, you have so many other things to do and then you have the kids and then you have to cook and then you have to clean and then you got to go back on your computer and then you got to go back on your phone. And even if you don't have kids, it's, it's just different. I think, um, and I don't know why that is. Again, I, I feel like it's something we've created for society has created on, on women in general. Like we're just meant to be caretakers. We're meant to be that. So we've taken that on. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of hard work. But if you surround yourself with the right people, I think it definitely does help. Um, you know, automotive tech for, for me is is kind of a walk in the park. I've been in auto for, for years, so I know it very well. And I will admit, I love it. When everything happened with uh, COVID-19, um, we took a break with MedSecures. We paused it only because our major clients are governments at this point in time. And since we don't, you know, we don't have you know, the government available to us since they're so busy dealing with this pandemic, we've decided to just focus on putting all of that into um, 
patents and legal work and you know restructuring business plans and just focus on the automotive side so on the automotive side what we're doing is we do artificial intelligence for uh properly aligning consumers with the right loans uh but we focus mainly on subprime so now that covid's happened and a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people are unfortunately in this really you know big predicament where their credit is not at the best um, position as maybe once it was, a lot of people are going to be at that subprime level. So we're trying to make sure that everybody makes sure everybody is is at the proper lending possibility with the bank that you're not getting ripped off and you're not getting you know 22% interest when in fact, you should have gotten 11 or 10. Um, so this is something we had been doing for a while at this point. And now that this has happened with COVID, it's just blowing up. Um, the US market's opening up right now for us because of everything happening there too. So I've kind of shifted and I've gone back to really putting a lot of focus and emphasis on the auto side only because I see that it is directly affecting this time and what's happening right now in the economy around right. the world. Um, that is not to say that Metzger's is not gonna go. You'll see Metzger's back up and running, but it's it's on a little pause waiting for the government to just come back up and, and at it because we need uh, government um, approvals and regulations in, in place to get these in, into pharmacies. Right, right. Yeah, so like you're really busy, but um, I know like sometimes I've, um, I don't think I'm as busy as you are, maybe a little, but I don't have kids, so I have an advantage there. But you know, I, a lot of times I've had people, you know, like if I'm out with a friend or something and you know, I'll look at my phone, like work doesn't stop for, for people who are running companies or entrepreneurs, right? You're always on. So um, getting a, 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 an email at midnight or while you're on vacation, it, it doesn't, you, you're not gonna pause it because you're on vacation, sort of, right? You can Right. So, but then I always get, I've always gotten very highly criticized for it. And I've had uh, people in my life who like just bluntly like, well, why are you such a workaholic? And I'm always, I've always been like very confused by that until I got to a point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I'm not a workaholic. I just, I just do what you got to do. It's, you know, but I think it's like, why do people automatically assume, like, I've never, why do you automatically assume, hey, you're a workaholic just because you're trying to juggle all these different things, right? It's it, That's all actually it is. You're just juggling and you're just trying to also uh, get your company up and running and there's really no time to have off time, right? I think it's passion, right? I think when you're passionate and you love what you're doing, it doesn't necessarily feel like work. Yeah. And there are people who are passionate about what they do and there are people who aren't. And for them, it is a chore for them. It is, there's no desire. It's nine to five. I'm checking out at five o'clock. I'm done. Where people who are entrepreneurs who are trying to make their dream become reality. I mean, you don't give that up. It's, it's like having a child, right? You don't just give up yeah. on your child when it's nine o'clock, you keep going and you keep pushing and you keep making it happen because those are your goals, your aspirations in life. So no, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Right. So um, I don't want to make this like super long, but be just before we wrap up, I wanted to sort of ask you what I think, um, you know, because you're in like, you're highly in a male dominated industry, auto tech, med tech, tech in general, 
um, what 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 have been some of your biggest struggles in you know not just being in that space but also working with a lot of different men? Like, can you tell us? I mean, I, mean, I don't know if you're comfortable, but totally. I, I know. Do you have some horror stories? Oh yeah. Um, I think I would say the most um, bothersome thing is that as a woman, if you are you know strong and you're opinionated and you speak your mind, you tend to be called dramatic or aggressive or dominating. Um, oh, have you been and, called that? Yes, I have. I have certainly <laughs> been called that. Okay. I <laughs> and, um, but I have also clapped back where I've also said, you know, if I was a male, you would never say oh. that to me ever. Oh, and, because and, okay, so what was the reaction to that? the reaction to that was, Oh, um, wow. I can't believe, you know, no, I'm not like that. How could you say something like that? And, and I stood my ground, which was if a man said to you that this is what we need to do in order to move this company to the next level, you would never say that he was being dominating. But if I ask you to do something in order to help us move the company to the next level, you say it's dominating because of my tone or because I'm asking you to do something. So those are real struggle points. Um, you know, I've worked with men that are fantastic who are like super great. Like you would never know. Like there's, there is no differentiating factor. It's like, it's about ability. It's about what you can perform and what you can do. But then there are others who are like that. And that is hard. Um, you know, I've had my run-ins with people in the automotive industry in general, because as a female, you know, it's, it is a guy world for the most part, but I also find that that industry has gone so much better. You just got to prove it. Usually if I sit down with a man and, you know, the first few minutes are like, oh, it's a girl. <laughs> but within like five minutes, no exaggeration. I know my stuff. I'm, you know, I know how to talk. I get the language. I am, you know, educated in that sense, I can totally perform whatever it is that I need to do. And I've proven it and they're totally good. Everything's fine. So it, it's just, I feel like it's more work. If I was a man, it wouldn't be as much work. I could probably walk in there with a beer. Hey buddy, let's have a drink. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't care, right? I could just say whatever I want and they wouldn't care. And I'd probably suck, but they would probably be more open to doing something with me right away. So are you as a female, you got to work harder. As a woman, you have to work extra hard? Yes. Oh, I totally feel that way. Yeah, I would yeah. say that 100%. It's a lot harder. It's not easy. You know, I, I, I'm not sure why that is, but it, it just is. And it, it actually, I do know why that is. Um, it's because who we're selling to, who we're working with are always men. And those men are always working with other men. And those men are always working with other men. So when a female comes into the play, she's, you know, bitchy, she's pushy, she's not like a guy. So it, that's what it is. So I think us as, as females have to break that, that culture and just have to start coming more up and, um, supporting each other. It's also really important as much as, you know, men might be challenging. I enjoy working with men. They're nice. They're great. I have no issues yes. for the most part. I have to say that. Um, but females, we got to also learn to be kinder to each other. Like be nice. If, you know, if you're working in an environment where one woman got a promotion and you didn't like, don't jump to conclusions. Maybe she's good <laughs> at what she's doing. You know, like right. it's okay if she's pretty, Maybe she does a good job. Like we got to be nicer to each other too. So I think that's a big thing. Just what, be kinder. What advice would you give to a woman who is currently 
you know, working in a company and wants to sort of get to the next level and feel stuck? So I would say a few things. One, figure out what you want to do. That's really important. If you want to do something that will help that company grow, figure it out and go sit down, talk to your supervisor, your manager, whomever it is you need to talk to and tell them what your plans are in order to make that happen and just prove it. Give them a little bit of time, say, give me a month, give me two months. I'd like to prove that I can earn that position. I can earn to be there because this is what I'm passionate about. Just prove it. I mean, if you are passionate about it and we just talked about it, passion is really important. When you have that passion, you'll do anything. Just prove it and you'll get there. Right, right, right. Um, anything else? I mean, it's been sort of 30 minutes. I don't want to go over. I, Instagram cuts us off. I've learned that in my last one. Yes. Um, no, I think, I think I think we can talk about a million different things, but is there I anything know. that you want to sort of add? No, I, I you know what? I, I think I think, you know, just stay passionate, keep focused on what you want to do. You know, don't let the outside influences get to you, otherwise it, it will affect you. So just stay positive, keep moving forward. If you believe in it and you're passionate about it, do what you need to do. And I, I guess the one thing I would say um, I'll end it with uh, the one thing for MedScures is that I don't have a medical background. So the one thing I made sure to do was to surround myself with everybody in the industry. So pharmacists, doctors, uh, you know, whoever could provide any insight. And so my board of directors is all pharmacists, doctors, the president of the pharmacist, uh, the College of Pharmacies here in, in Ontario. Um, be willing to let go. Like I would love to give someone the CEO position if they are qualified, if they're better than me. Like that's, I think the goal, the goal in general is it's not about ego for me. It's about taking this product, seeing it go to market and making an actual difference in the world. So let go of ego and just, if you want to see your company grow, put the right people in place and watch it grow. Doesn't mean you're a failure if you're not the CEO. It doesn't mean any of that. It means you're actually way better off because you put the right people in play. I agree with that 100%. I mean, um, at the end of the day, you as an individual can work, 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 work and, and, and achieve so much, but you can't do it without having a great team behind you and the right people for the job. And I think that's 100%. something like I've always sort of had a team, but I didn't always have the right team. And when you sort of get into a place where you're, you, you kind of have the right people in place, you start seeing things happen and things start flowing and it just starts happening. So I totally agree with you, like having a great, you know, advisors and team behind you does actually make a big difference because a lot of entrepreneurs have the reputation of being control freaks and sort of not being able to delegate and doing everything themselves, right? A hundred percent. And team is important. And I will say that investors do care about the team. They want right. to know, like, if you're in an industry that you've never been in, who's behind you? Who's backing you up? How are you getting into that industry? So when you are raising capital, just be aware, team is very important. And that's that's something that's also part of your of your deck, right? You put in, like, the team Correct. that you're working with, the consultants or if you have a board, advisors, yep. they are, and that's probably going to be very powerful to people who are going to invest in you because they know that you are not only, not only you believe in your product, but you're also, you have a knowledge base to back you up. Exactly. Right? 
And I, I'm sorry, I said I was going to end it, but the last thing I would say, the one thing I struggled with the absolute most when when fundraising and trying to raise capital was figuring out how to raise. So there are so many elements, like do you raise uh, based on equity shares? Do you raise based on you know a convertible note? Just do your research, talk to your accountant, talk to a lawyer, and really figure out how you want to share, uh, I'm sorry, how you want to you know, divvy up either shares or if you want to do convertible notes and how you want to raise, because that will make a difference. And I will say that I, out of everyone I've spoken to that had a startup, everyone has told me that the first time they raised, they got ripped off, which is okay too. Like it's normal to get ripped off that first round. That's how you learn. But if you can know a little bit more going in, it can help. Okay. This was great. I don't want to get cut off. Maybe we could uh, set up another session, a different day to get a little a little more yeah. in depth with a couple of these topics. But thank you for being on the IG Live. Uh, for Thanks anyone, for having me. Yeah, of course. And for anyone who missed it, we are going to have it available on the MedScures um, Instagram channel. Uh, account we will give this to, to rosa we're also going to have it on the converge um uh, between two servers podcast yes our name is between two servers we're nerdy um and we'll also have it in our podcast links and our linkedin and all of our uh different social media uh aspects so you can uh view this again you can contact myself or rosa uh if you have any questions or or, or comments or if you want to contribute if you're an investor and you want to invest in an amazing company call her up she's doing some great work in in tech <laughs> And uh, thank you so much, Rosa, for for being on. (laughs) I'm just seeing the comments. I know. I usually hate talking about women in tech. It's not a a topic that, uh, it's not that I'm not comfortable with it. I just, it's not a topic for my own reasons. Of course. No, for sure. Thank you, guys, everyone who's watching. Thanks so much for for watching us, too. It was really nice to share some some info. Don't don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. And uh, we'll keep an eye on you to see all the wonderful things that Medscare is doing. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Between Two Servers. You can find us over on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. The links are in the description of this podcast. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to Between Two Servers, and we'll catch you next time.